Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Oh, he's good, isn't he? I think um, maybe that's what happens when you let a worship leader close out worship. <laughs> like, it's just like, wait, he didn't want to stop, and let's, let's just go back, let's go around, let's go around again. And I, just, I, love, I love worship, I love inviting the presence of God in, because I, know, I just know what he does. I know what he does. And so I just, I just invite you guys to do that. If that's never been your practice, if you've never done that before, find a place Just begin to worship and then just sit. Allow him to speak to you. So we've been going through Galatians. And uh, it's been been a good study. Anybody like love going through Galatians? It's just been great. It's been great. Um, A a lot of what we saying is preaching the the whole book. That you're a child of God. That you're no longer a slave. That you've been set free. And, and, uh, Last week, Joe just, just, he did such a, a great, phenomenal job, right, at walking us through why the law was even there. Why did, why did we get the law in the first place? And, and that it was that, he introduced most of us to that word, pedagogue, right? That, that's not something I use in my vocabulary on the, on the daily. Uh, but it, it means that, that teacher, that guardian that, that, that is there for a time and for a purpose, right, until Jesus would come. And so uh, now, today, we are in Galatians Four, but I want to back up to verse 29. See, Paul is, uh, up to this point, he's, he's frustrated, and that's why he's writing this letter to Galatians. Galatians is a, is a region, it was a grouping of churches that he had, he had worked and he labored to plant, and he has, has all, all these churches going, and there were certain men from Jerusalem, they would say serpent men from James, the Judaizers, the party of the circumcision that would, that would come in along uh, be, behind him and they would come in and they would sow this, like he, Jesus isn't enough. Like you, you have to be circumcised. You, you, you have to follow the, the Mosaic law. You have to follow the table laws. You have to follow all the, the special days, the ceremonial days. And, and Paul's like, no, no, Jesus is enough. Like the, the law was there as this teacher, like Joe so eloquently did last week. If you haven't listened to it, I'm telling you, I'm such a fan of what happened last week that I was thinking about, let's not do this. Let's just play. Let's just roll the tape because it's so good. So watch it. Go back and watch it. Grab a pen. Take some notes. Why was the, why was the law even there? And so Paul's getting upset. He's like, listen, it's about Jesus. If you step away from Jesus, then it's all about you and your works and what you think you can do. And you can't. The law showed us. The law showed us that we can't do it. The law showed us that we're not able to be per- perfect, that we're not able to keep the whole entire law. That's what the law was for, was to show us that we can't do it, that we would need a Savior, and that's why Jesus came. So verse 39, 29 of 3. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers at pedagogue until the date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. God, we, we pray as we open up your word today. Lord, we, we believe your word to be living and active and to be sharp. We ask for it, God, to transform and change us. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that is behind your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always a, a good reminder for us to, to remember that all of scripture, all of it, is about one person. All of scripture is about Jesus. The Old Testament predicted him, right? He shows up on the scene in the New Testament, and then the rest of it is all about how do we, how do we be like him? And then now, how do we live like him? How do we be like him? And now we're waiting his return patiently. Right? There's this huge benefit of, of understanding the Old Testament. And as we look to the New Testament, we want to understand what was, what was written before. Jesus and the apostles, they, they quote from it often. And it's the only Bible that they would even have. Right? There's no, no New Testament has been written yet. I, I don't, has anybody went and seen the, the Spider-Man movie? When it just came out, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, and that's okay. You're all right. You're not going to miss a whole lot, but because I'm, I'm assuming if you haven't seen the Spider-Man movie, then you haven't seen all the previous Spider-Man movies and all the Marvel movies. And if you're like, I, I seriously have no idea what you're talking about. You're still okay. Just bear with me. If you went to see the Spider-Man movie, having not seen the Tobey Maguire names, the, okay, some of you know what I'm talking about, the, the Andrew Garfield all the Marvel movies, like you'd be, you'd be sitting there watching the Spider-Man movie and you'd be entertained. It'd be a, a fine enough movie. But you know how much you'd miss out on? Like everybody else is getting the inside scoop. Everybody else is knowing what I'm talking about. Like everybody else is watching the movie and they're like, okay, oh my gosh, did you just see who just walked in? Oh my goodness, that villain came from another universe. Like some of you are like, I don't know, I no clue what you're talking about. Again, you're okay. That's kind of what it's like. Like if you read the New Testament, apart from the Old Testament, it's, it's going to be good, do it, but there's going to be so much that you're going to miss because it's, the Bible really is this beautiful tapestry that's been woven together and it all points to the person of Jesus. So let's go um, back to the message and away from Spider-Man, if we must. So the passage in Galatians, it, it speaks of that date that's been set, right? When the fullness of time had come. This date, it's been, it's been set by the Father. It's that fullness of time. And do, do you ever wonder why Jesus came when he did? Why not, why not right, like right after Adam and Eve sinned? Why not, why not then? That would have saved maybe a whole lot of agony, right? Why, why didn't Jesus come now? Like imagine the internet. The cameras at the tomb, it's empty, being broadcast to billions of people in real time. Like, why, why wouldn't he come now? But this Galatians passage is talking about in the fullness 
of time, that there was a, an exact time when Jesus was going to come. He came exactly at the right time. And I think sometimes in our lives, um, we think God is late. Sometimes we think he's early, like I wasn't ready. And yet you're holding this living, breathing human. And you're like, I was, this is too soon, God. I wasn't ready for this. Or you're making a decision, I don't know, maybe to get married. And you're like, ah, oh, I thought I was ready. But maybe it's too soon. It's too soon. Or God, you're too late. And I'm telling you, God does things at exactly the right time. His timing is perfect. His ways are perfect. His ways are, are higher than our ways. Right? You might be in that, that place right now of waiting. And you're, you're feeling like he's running late. You're feeling like he's, he's not on time. But let me tell you, God is always on time. Here's, here's a few things that I want to point out of Jesus coming exactly at the right time. And why, was it when, why did he come when he came? First, there was an expectation. Let's look at verse 3. When we were children, when we, we were uh, enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. See, Paul's describing this Judaism in terms of, of being a child, right? Growing up in a home. And just like a child would be under that pedagogue, that, that guardian, like we've grown up under this teacher, under the law, and the guardian is no longer needed because Jesus has, has come. This is that picture of, of Judaism, right? It's a picture of, of the law being that teacher. And Jesus would come, and notice Paul describes this as, as slavery. He's using the, this slavery language. Some virgin, versions of, the, uh, of this passage even say bondage instead of slavery. This is slavery language throughout. Verse 5 says, it says, Jesus was sent to redeem. Redeem is, is slavery language. It's buying back by paying a price. Right? This is all that language of bondage, that language of slavery. And um, Who better to understand slavery than the Jews? They've been enslaved. They've been in bondage for thousands of years. Right? Start beginning when they were in Egypt. Right? Moses was their, their deliverer. Out of what? Out of 400 years of slavery, they would later be uh, put into to bondage by the Babylonians and then the Assyrians, right? And then, then we, we read that some of them come out in Ezra and Nehemiah, but the Seleucid Syrians, they would, they would come and they would kill and they would, they would enslave and they would exile the people. And so this is a people who knows slavery, right? There's another deliverer that is sent, and this is a time that you won't find in Scripture. It's actually in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Judas Maccabeus. That's a real name. I didn't just try to rhyme words. Uh, it, it's, uh, they celebrate Hanukkah. The Jews celebrate Hanukkah to this day to commemorate that event of, of the, the deliverer. Judas Maccabeus would come and deliver the people from bondage. And, but even as Paul is writing here in Galatians, they're under what? They're under Roman rule. They're under Roman oppression, Right? Jews had few rights, they had high taxes, and they had no sovereignty. They know what slavery is like. They know what it means to be in bondage. But maybe most importantly, they were in bondage to their own religion. Right? They're enslaved to the law. Here's why I say that, because there, there's no one who was ever keep, able to keep the law. No one was ever to keep the, able to keep the law fully. Everyone failed. They failed at trying. Their whole life was about trying to keep the law. And that's the point that Paul's trying to, to drive home here. Men, if you've been part of the Hebrews Bible study on Tuesday mornings, like that's, that's the, the author of Hebrews. Joe, Joe says Priscilla. I don't know. Uh, a lot of people say Paul. Uh, well, we don't know who the author is. 
Um, I, I'd go with, I'd, I'd put my, my money on Paul, but we're not sure. But the Hebrews drives on the, the same point. God gave them the law and they can't keep it. So then there's this sacrificial system that's been put in place. It's to cover their sins. It's to cover over their failures. But it never ends. Imagine every day, every week, every month, every year, the same thing. Drag an animal in, kill it. Drag an animal in, kill it. Throw the blood on the altar. Drag an animal in. Endless cycle of this blood being shed, of this ritual, of this ceremony. And you're never closer to God. It never ends. My kids listen to these songs on repeat. I don't know if you, uh, any fans of Baby Shark? I thought, like I have, a, I have an eight-year-old, and then I have a three-year-old. And somewhere in between those two, the phenomenon of Baby Shark, which is an old song, but for some reason, it came to prominence once again. It should have died a painful death a long time ago. But somehow, it comes back, and I thought I'd missed it. But that's one of his favorite songs, and I don't know why. He, and we have an Alexa, and, and I don't know why she listens to a three-year-old. But she listens to the three-year-old, and so it's Baby Shark or Paw Patrol, and it's just the theme song of Paw Patrol. I mean, it's, it's agony, but it's over and over, and it's on repeat, and this was like, like, life was like for them. Every day, every week, every month, every year, sacrifice on repeat for your entire life. And you're never closer to God because of it. Enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. See, but the expectation, it was there. When will the Messiah come? Right, that's what they're asking. When will this slavery end? There was an expectation. There was this anticipation. Right, this was the prayer that would be prayed every day and is still prayed in, in some Orthodox Jewish homes today. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Messiah. And even though he tarries, yet I will wait every coming day. There was an expectation. I think it's a prayer that, that, that uh, many of us could pray today as we wait for his return. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Messiah. And even though he tarries, yet I will wait every coming day. They're waiting for that deliverer to come. At the time of Jesus, this is in the, the first century, the expectation of Judaism for the coming Messiah Right, it was at an all-time high. I, I learned a lot this, uh, this last couple of weeks as I'm studying for this. It was, it was common for every Jewish woman to think, is, could it be me? Am I, am I going to be the mother of the Messiah? They, they, they would wake up. I <laughs> had a conversation with, I'm not even going to say his name, but he's, when he was growing up, he's like, am I the Antichrist? It, could, it, could it be me? I'm like, who thinks that? You have to know the guy. Am I, am I the Messiah, or am I the, the mother of the Messiah? Is the, the Messiah going to come through me? This was the, this was the, the, the thought on, on the Jewish women's heart as they're growing up. The, there's this book entitled The History of Messianic Speculation in Israel. And it was written in the, in the 50s by a well-known rabbi, Hillel Silver. And he states this. I'm going to just read this short paragraph. Prior to the first century, Messianic interest was not excessive. The first century, however, especially the generation before the destruction of the second temple, it witnessed a remarkable outburst of messianic emotionalism. When Jesus came into Galilee spreading the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, he was voicing the opinion universally held that the age of the kingdom of God was at hand. Right? And he'll end this 
section, this paragraph, by saying this, the Messiah was expected at the second quarter of the first century. Any guesses to when Jesus came? You don't have to guess. In the second quarter of the first century. Don't you, do you remember the religious leaders that would come to John the Baptist as he's baptizing people, dunking them in the Jordan River? Remember the question they would ask him? They'd ask him, are, are you the Messiah? There was this expectation that the Messiah was coming. You remember the triumphal entry of Jesus? Right? They're, they're saying, Hosanna. They're saying, save now. They're expecting. There's this, there's this fervor. There's this expectation, anticipation that he's going to come. And there's just like this, this, this prophecy that was in the Old Testament about this scepter that was going to be removed from Judah. And the scepter represented like what they were able to do. Like the sovereignty that they had as a nation. And not until this point, under the Babylonians, under the Assyrians, under, uh, in, in Egypt, under Pharaoh, like they were able to still uh, capital punishment and still uh, see through their Mosaic law. But at this time, under the Romans, guess what they couldn't do? The Romans took away their scepter. The Romans took away their ability to, to see out the Mosaic law. And so there's this anticipation that the Messiah is going to come because the prophecy they believe to be a messianic prophecy, that when the scepter is removed, the Messiah is going to come. And so they were believing for the Messiah to come. There's this expectancy. It's the highest it had ever been. This word, fulfillness. When the fulfillness of time had come, it's this Greek word, pleroma, and it means complete. It means full. It means plump. It means ripe. I mean, think about a, a tomato just at the right time. You know what I'm talking about? Like vine ripened. I'm not talking about the, the red ones that are super really red and you buy at the store and you bring them home like I did last week and they fake you out because they think you don't have a memory and you slice them up and you toast that bread and you, you put the mayonnaise on. I'm, not I'm talking like real mayonnaise. Not Miracle Whip for all you players out there, like jokers. Like I don't, it, doesn't, it says salad dressing on the jar. I'm telling you, it's not mayonnaise. The real mayonnaise on that toasted bread, you got that crisp. We use romaine, but you can use ice, but whatever. Lettuce is not the fan. It's not the star. It's the fan of the sandwich, right? Put that crisp lettuce on there. Slice up those tomatoes all juicy and do a little salt bay on them. You get the bacon. I don't, I don't even care if it's cheap bacon. Or if, I mean, bacon's bacon. Bacon's great. If you got good bacon, if you can afford good bacon, get the good bacon. But those tomatoes have got to be on point. The fullness of time had come, right? You pick them off the vine. They're in your garden. You've grown too many of them because you couldn't wait. And now you've got to give them away before they rot, right? That, 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 the fullness of time, that's what I'm talking about. And you eat that BLT, which was not good in May. But I'm telling you, July is coming, and those are going to be so good. Why? Because the fullness of time and come for those tomatoes. God's on time. <laughs> now, he's on time in your life. You may not feel like it, but he's on time. You may feel like he's late. You may feel like he's early. No matter what situation you're facing, let me tell you, don't get caught up in that endless cycle of, God, are you causing this? God, are you allowing this to happen in my life? Because the truth is, no matter what it is, God will use it. Romans 8, 28, that, that all things, all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God will, will work. He will use all things in your life. 
there was an exact right time for Jesus to come. And Paul, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us why. He doesn't, he doesn't say why this was the exact right time, but I've made a few, and let me make a few other suggestions. There was this spiritual expectation that I spoke about earlier. But there was also this hunger. That was for the Jews. What about for the, the Greeks? What about for the Romans? There were so many that were burned out on this polytheistic religious system that they had. Right? There's so many gods. And yet they're not affecting change in my life. So there was this, this hunger. There was many of them that were burned out. And, and here's why I say this, because we can, we can look into Scripture and we can see many of them coming to, they were God-fearers. Right? They, they, were, they were converting to Judaism. Like we see centurions, we see uh, Jesus citing one centurion as having more faith than anybody in all of Israel. Right, the Apostle Peter, he goes to a centurion's house and his whole household believes in Jesus. Before that, he was a God-fearer. Right, that's why Peter shows up. Paul tells us that even people from Caesar's household put their faith in Jesus. Right, and Caesar was supposed to be worshipped as a God himself. But they... <laughs> They were in Caesar's household, so they were, they were too close. Like they, they seen him in his underwear, like they knew. They were too close to him. They knew this guy is not a god, so there's got to be something more. So there's this hunger, there's this expectation, right? They were, they were ripe spiritually, but also culturally. Alexander the Great, anybody, history books? He's dead by this time, but he had this vision, right? And he was driven to make the whole world Greek, it had been on his vision board for years. Right? Everybody needs to speak Greek. Everybody needs to follow Greek culture. So he conquered the whole known world. And he spread Greek language and he spread Greek culture around the world quite effectively. But for the first time, right, since the Tower of Babel, when the languages were confused, when the languages were dispersed, there was one common language over the whole known world. Wherever you traveled, Greek was the common language. It's been said that Greek is the most precise language ever to convey human thought. Right? And it just happens to be the language that the New Testament would be written in. So Alexander, he was pretty great. And when he... Oh, wait. I know. But when he, when he conquers Jerusalem, he encouraged the Jews to go and, and, and set up colonies all around the world. So what, what you didn't have in the Old Testament, what you'll never find, what you'll never read about, but you have in the New Testament is synagogues set up all over this world that's controlled now by the Romans. They would, they would set up synagogues wherever they went, and the synagogue was a place where they could convey thoughts, and they could speak one common language. Right? So the, the synagogues were set up, and it, wouldn't you know that uh, Jesus would step into some of those synagogues. Right? The apostles would drop in. They would speak a common language. Like they would exchange those ideas. Now, the Romans, they, they bring 200 years of peace. Pax Romana, Roman peace. Right? It was enforced by the military. But they worked to keep order and peace. And you can pick up as you read through the New Testament that they were present. They were ever present and they were a force to be reckoned with. But the Romans, they, they paved over 250,000 miles of road. Some of those roads you can go and you can walk on today. They're still being used today. There's roads in Decatur that I avoid. But there's roads in Rome, in, in, in Roman territory, you know what I'm saying. They've been there for thousands of years and 
are still being used, still being walked on. So here you have relatively safe government control. They're, they're connected cities by paved roads. There's a common language being spoken. There's, there's a place to share ideas in the synagogues. That's all Paul needed for his church planning strategy. Right? It's estimated that Paul would travel 15,000 miles by foot or by sea. And a lot, of, like, a lot of his ministry that we read about, he was in jail. He's writing, they're called prison letters, prison epistles. So you have the gospel. It's in the most precise language ever. Under pretty ideal circumstances to people who are hungrier than ever spiritually. And they're traveling to places more freely than ever. It was the fullness of time. Verse 4. God sent forth his son. Jesus was somewhere else. Jesus was somewhere else and God sent him. The Bible will tell us that, that Jesus was pre-existent. That before time began, before time was, he, he, he was already. Jesus says of himself that he came down from, from heaven. Again in verse 4, that he was born of a woman, born under the law. It's interesting for Paul to, uh, to make this distinction. Isn't everyone that's born, born of a woman? But Jesus was born not of a woman and a man. He was born of a woman. It was a result of Mary being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph had no role. Right? Jesus was born of a virgin. And he's born, that virgin just happened to be a Jew. So he's born under the law. He's a Jew. If you don't know, if this is breaking news, Jesus is, is Jewish. Right? It, it, like the, the whole nine yards. He's circumcised on the eighth day. He's dedicated in the temple. He's raised to learn the Torah, the first five books of, of the Old Testament. Right? He attended services at those synagogues. He traveled to Jerusalem for those festivals. Right? He's, he's a Jew. He even had a bar mitzvah. Right? The coming of age party for, for Jewish boys. We, we uh, spent some time in Texas, and my oldest was 12, 13, 14, approaching 15, and she was, um, Texas has these uh, large Hispanic culture, and what you will find in Hispanic culture is this thing when a girl turns 15 called a quinceañera. What was that? Quinceañera. You said it way better than I did. Yeah. Love that. Quinceañera. It's when they turn 15. Now, there, there's whole shops and stores dedicated to the quinceanera. They've got elaborate dresses. They've got the cakes. They've got the decorations. It's a big deal. And I had to tell her, you're not, you're not having a quinceanera. We're, we're not Hispanic. But Jesus was Jewish, and he had a bar mitzvah. He was Jewish. He was a child under the law. So Jesus was a Jew. He was a he was son of the commandment, right? But unlike you and me, Jesus was perfect. He kept the whole thing. No sins found in him. And at just the right time, God sent just the right person. For you and me, for just the right purpose. At exactly the right time, exactly the right person came for the exact right purpose of redeeming you and me. Jesus grew up a Jew. There was a, this is a, my middle child, um, my middle daughter. She, she told me this joke the other day, and I told her I would use it. There was a game as Jesus was growing up, and it, he's a Jewish young man. There was a game he could not play. It's two truths and a lie. 
he had to play three truths. Okay, tough, tough crowd this morning. I'll let her know. I'll let her know. It was extremely funny. They just didn't laugh. All right. So it, it was imperative, though, for Jesus to be fully God. He had to be fully God. He had to be fully man. He had to be both. He was fully man to represent man. He had to feel the pain and the punishment of the cross. He had to be fully God so that the sacrifice would matter, so that the sacrifice would actually have value. A good man, like I could die, and I could even say I'm dying for the sins of the world, and my death would mean nothing. Jesus had to be sinless. He had to be perfect. He had to be God, and he was sent at just the right time. And here is the great news. Here's the good news. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. No belief system. No philosophy compares. Christianity, it centers on the person and the work of Jesus. It doesn't center on a person's teaching. It doesn't center on a person's philosophies. It's all about Jesus. Jesus didn't say, follow my teachings. His teachings, by the way, are fantastic. He said, follow me and I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow, follow my teachings, that, that my teachings are the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? He doesn't say, whoever will receive my core belief systems, whoever will receive my, my philosophies, to them, I will receive them. They will become children of God. He says, whoever would receive him, whoever would receive me, will become children of God. The reason why Jesus came is in verse 5. Galatians 4, verse 5. He came to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. All right, if you're in Israel today, you're going you're gonna to hear kids running around calling their, their dad, Abba, Abba. And it's daddy, dad. It's that intimate relationship that they have with their father. We have this ability to have this intimate relationship with the God, the creator of the universe. And closing out with verse 7, all right, we come back to that slavery language again. It says to redeem. All right, this is to buy back, paying a price to set a slave free. That's that word that he used. It's slavery language. Paul is illustrating God going He's going to a slave market. He's purchasing you. He, he's buying you back. He's bringing you home, and he's adopting you as a child. That's what that word redeem conveys, that you, you and I would become children of God, that Jesus, being fully God, that, that he would come and become a slave so that you and I can become a child of God. That's why he came. And it, that, that is what means everything to you. That's what means everything to me. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer under bondage. You don't have to bear down. You don't have to try. You don't have to perform in order for God to accept you, in order for God to, to love you, in order for God to call you child, in order for you to be able to say, Abba, Father. You don't have to work really hard. We don't have to make sure our good outweighs our bad. Jesus is enough. This is what 
motivated Paul to write the letter to the Galatian churches. Jesus is enough. He went to the slave market. He bought you. He brought you home and he adopted you as a child. And now you get to call him Abba. Now you get to call him Daddy. You don't have to perform. Yeah, Jesus, he, he wants you to be obedient. And he's, he's got some really great things to say. And if you'll invite his presence in, like we talked about earlier, like there's some, some blessings that will flow into your life because of your obedience. So don't mishear me. But you're accepted not because of that. You're accepted because Jesus took you. He bought you. He paid the price to redeem you. He brought you home and he adopted you. You're a child. You're a son. You're a daughter. There's a, a song, there's these lyrics that I, I wrote. I've been living with them for about 15 years. And a couple years ago, I kind of reworked them. And it, it really uh, illustrates um, this message this morning. So I just want to share this song with you as we, as we close. Calling, I hear you call. 
joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 